You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I am joined again by Gene Henley. We welcome you in, and thank you for listening to this episode of Vol Basketball Fever. If you're new here, thank you for choosing this episode to be your first one. You can find us, as the intro said, pretty much everywhere podcasts are found on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're basically on it everywhere. So find us everywhere, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Gene, we have a few things to talk about. We were going to record uh, on Tuesday night anyway, and then Tennessee made it a little bit easier on us to have a podcast by announcing Tuesday afternoon. It was a apparently Tennessee coaching contract extension day on Tuesday because uh, almost a dozen, I think, of Tennessee's coaches, yeah, what, nine of Tennessee's current head coaches and across various sports were given contract extensions on Tuesday. Uh, Tennessee made a big release about it. Of course, the big one that all fans were waiting for finally happened. Tony Vitello, Tennessee's baseball head coach, got a massive raise and contract extension. He'll be making $1.5 million, and he was making oh goodness, I can't remember how much he was making before that. I think five hundred, six hundred thousand. Like That's basically a million dollar raise per year for him, so that's a, a huge deal for him. He's going to be one of the highest paid head coaches in college baseball. So a big tip of the hat to Tony V and the baseball program for also getting seven players drafted in 20 rounds of the MLB draft. Usually an MLB draft is about double the amount of rounds um, in, in each draft, but obviously with COVID stuff, last year is 10, this year 20. I think it'll probably go back to a normal length next year, but seven players in 20 rounds. That was the second most in school history, and like I said, every other draft has been 40, 50 rounds or so, so that's highly, highly impressive. They get a commitment from a from a freshman All-American, from Georgia Southern pitcher, so I mean, it, it was a good day to be Tennessee baseball. But also a good day to be, as you know, talking before we hit record, good day to be a, a sitting head coach Ooh. at the University of Tennessee, and that includes both Tennessee's basketball coaches, Rick Barnes and Kelly Harper, both get contract extensions. And Gene, I've been looking, I haven't seen any of the contract details for Kelly Harper yet, but she signed an extension that'll bring her uh, through the 2025-26 season as the Layvalls head coach. And we'll have a little bit more of a discussion about her here in just a second. But we do now see, according to, I think, both VolQuest and 247 have both kind of reported on this, what the the monetary details are for Rick Barnes. And it's different than what we talked about. You and I talked about, you know, the report, uh, I guess, what, three weeks ago at this point, something like that, about Rick Barnes getting an extension and his, his raise and his contract going up to 5.9. That wasn't technically inaccurate, but with the way the pay structure is for this this deal for Barnes, he won't actually be making 5.9 until the very end of his contract. He's not getting a raise necessarily um, or, you know, a bump in pay for the whole part of his contract, it's going to fall in line with his bonus structure that was already in place. So essentially, he's signing two more years to his deal, getting a two-year contract extension. He's set to earn $5.2 million this upcoming season, which he's already ex- is, is, was already slated to earn, with an annual $250,000 raise over the next two seasons, which was in his previous contract, uh, that he get amended and signed and stuff, you know, after all the UCLA stuff a couple years ago. But the new extension 
stipulates that he'll get a $100,000 raise for each of the final three years of his contract, which will build up to $5.9 million for the 25-26 season. So, Gene, really quickly here, we did get to that $5.9 million mark for Barnes, but it's not a consistent that's what he's going to be making every year of his deal. It's a it's building up to that. So I think that, to me, actually, I know a lot of all fans, we, we talked about last time we talked about this, they're going to throw out the, oh, I was a $6 million coach and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, he's still a $5 million coach and still is going to be one of the highest paid coaches in college basketball. But I, I think this pay structure, to me, does make a little more sense. And I also envision this is the last contract extension pro- probably, maybe, but probably that Barnes will, will sign as a head coach. I mean, heck, he could keep coaching until his late 70s into his 80s. And that's not, I guess, unheard of. But I, I would... I would imagine this is probably the last contract extension he will ever sign as a head basketball coach collegiately, and that the 25-26 season will probably be his last. So that's still you know five more years of, of Rick Barnes basketball for Tennessee, and I I like this pay structure better than um, bumping it up to 5.9. You know, immediately like we were kind of talking about a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I, I think um, first off, congrats to all the head coaches that just got yeah. paid. I'll, I'll uh, run through them all here just a second. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I do think that you know, from Barnes' perspective, I mean, um, God, like I mean, congrats. I mean, like that's <laughs> that's good money. Um, you know, that's money that comes with um, success and. Um, he has been successful at Tennessee. You know, there are varying degrees as to how successful, and I guess that's a discussion for another day. Uh, we've it, It's been had, it, it's been had, you know, like everybody. Um, I probably would push back, I mean, having thought about it some today, because I kind of figured this was going to come up. I have, I, you know, I, I would always probably push back a little bit on the... Um, he's raised the profile type stuff because Tennessee's typically been successful forever. Has, has it, Tennessee's been to the sweet 16 at, with like what three, three of the last five coaches, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jerry green, three of the last Jerry green, four, Earl, like actually four of the last six coaches, six. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you, if, if you're saying that he raised the profile above Donnie Tindall, congratulations, that wasn't exactly a, a hot bar. Um, uh, or, or, or Buzz Peterson or something like that. But, um, you know, in terms of, like, what he has been able to do, he, he's he's shown that he can be, you know, he's shown that he can be a good coach. He's shown that he can bring respect to a program that probably needed a certain level of respect just, I mean, off the court. Um, after all this stuff that happened uh, under the Tindall regime, which wasn't great, you had the Bruce Pearl stuff, which wasn't great, although he did enough stuff on the court where people didn't care about his off-the-court stuff, um, except for the people that mattered. But you know, so when it comes to so when it comes to, to Rick and just what he's you know and the the money that he's going to make and what he's you know what he's been able to accomplish, I mean, I guess all you can do is just hope that he lives up to the the people's expectations. I guess. Now, like, I mean, you can say whatever you want in terms of wins and losses and sweet 16s and lead eights and final fours and championships. But, you know, like I, I'll never <clears throat> fully know exactly what the ba- the fan base's, you know, year in, year out expectations are. Um, 
because I mean, one Sweet Sixteen in what five years, six years? Um, yeah, nice, great recruiting. Uh, the, the recruiting is what it is. Like that's that's going really well right now. Mm-hmm. He's got to maintain that because if you're not going to win, you better recruit. Because <laughs> if you keep on recruiting, you'll eventually start winning. I don't know many coaches that have squandered, you know, top 100 talent that had some experience to it. Like, if, if you want to point out Calipari, those were all freshmen and transfers. Um, I don't know many people that that consistently, you know, many coaches that have consistently brought in top 50, top 100, you know, talent. Nick Jerry Green made a sweet 16. I mean, with yeah. and he had eight. You know, he had eight top 100 guys on that team. Um, so again, if you just keep on, if you keep on, you know, you know, taking swings, you're eventually going to connect. And so, if he does that, you know, then I think everybody will be happy with everything else that's happened because you know, the contract to me, I feel is warranted. But at the same time, I know that it's going to come with an even higher set of expectations and people are hoping that by tw- the 25-26 season they're either celebrating a championship or heck at least a final four to where you you feel like you're going to get the complete bang for your buck for a guy that's being paid that way I think and I know he's the in vogue name right now because they just wanted a championship but I think and I, I know I've seen Vol fans kind of point to him and, and say you know especially more of the, the positive Vol fans I, don't, I, hes- I hesitate to say sunshine pumpers because I don't think everyone making this point is putting blinders on and, and wearing the orange tinted glasses and, and you know when whatever. But I'd look at a guy like a, a Scott Drew with Baylor, who he was labeled as a guy, and it's been the big thing we you just mentioned it a little bit there with Barnes, like he's been labeled as a guy who hasn't been able to finish in in the NCAA tournament. And obviously Scott Drew is is what he's he just turned fifty, or he's about he's about to turn fifty one in here in a few months, so he's you know significantly younger than Barnes. He's almost 20 years younger than Barnes at this point. So it's, it's obviously a little different. But he'd been at Baylor before they won the national title this year. He'd been at Baylor for a long time. This is what his, I think, 17th, 18th season with them, something like that. Yeah. Um, so and, and, yeah, and previously before that, you look at the mid <clears> couple <throat> Elite Eight runs um, in the mid-2000s. But that was also a team. Those are teams that were, you know, those are really good teams. Those are teams that finished with 28 wins and 30 wins respectively. But even those teams, you think, maybe with 30 wins like that should be a team that maybe makes it further than the, the Elite Eight but also Baylor hasn't been a, te- a school that you know has historically had a lot of success in the NCAA tournament but he was kind of labeled as a guy that you know can he get over the hump because you look at after those Elite Eight runs they went to the NIT and they won it but they didn't win to the NIT in 2013 Sweet 16 in 2014 lost in the first round lost the first round Sweet 16 NIT lost in the second round obviously there was no uh, tournament in 2020 but they were positioned well for that but you know who knows what happens but all that led up to their national title run this year where you went elite eight nothing elite eight nit champion c16 one and done one and done 16 nit and then second round and done so i mean that was a span of what one one two three four five six six ish years where you're not really you know living up to your expectation not really doing what you're supposed to do that that team that was uh, that 2016-17 team was a 27 and 8 program or team that or finished 27 and 8 that was a really highly thought of program that year and only made the Sweet 16 and got you know bounced pretty early that year. 
I don't obviously I don't it's different because like I said Scott Drew that was in his 40s and stuff when that was happening Barnes is in his late 60s at this point and I don't know that you know I think the ceiling for the two are very different but that was that's a guy again they just like if you want to look at football Clemson and Dallas Swinney were labeled as you know the, the Clemsoning was a thing for years that getting to the big stage in Clemsoning meaning that you get to the big stage and you fall flat in your face that was a big thing until all of a sudden it wasn't because they finally broke through can Tennessee ever break through? Can Rick Barnes, you know, can this be a thing where, like you said, just keep getting there, keep getting there. Baylor just kept getting there. They they finally, you know, they weren't a team that was getting to the NCAA tournament consistently when Scott Drew first got there. They they had a losing record his first three years there. 8-21, 9-19, 4-13. Actually, his first four years, because so they went 15-16 his, his fourth year. So they were a losing program his first four years there. And then his fifth year, they made the NCAA <coughs> tournament. And then kind of they made it made it didn't make it elite eight didn't make it elite eight didn't make it so they they've they consistently they weren't very consistent until recently looking around 2015 is when they've kind of like consistently gotten to the tournament you get enough chances like you said and you're eventually going to hit better than a single better than a double you're going to finally eventually you imagine as long as you get the, the right pitch hit a home run and i think tennessee at this point if Britt barnes in this this his staff that he has can just keep getting Tennessee to the tournament. It's w- w- look at Bruce Pearl. I mean, that took them. That was his his fifth season when they made the Elite Eight run, and they got into the, the, the tournament the previous four years. So I mean, if you get there enough, that's the more chances you get, the better your chances are of finally being able to pull off a deep run. That's not. It's it's obviously the, the numbers aren't going to play true for every single program every single time, but. Duke wasn't always Duke. Kentucky wasn't always Kentucky. Like, you had to build up to that somehow, and obviously they built it up decades ago. I don't think Tennessee's ever get to that level, but Villanova and Gonzaga weren't always the programs that are as high I thought of now. They had to keep consistently getting to the dance and finally were able to break through and, and make it to the Final Four, make it to the National t- Championship game. Obviously, Gonzaga hasn't won it yet, but Villanova has, and Gonzaga's gotten there a couple times. So, you're right. You're right on. That's something I've said multiple times. Just keep getting to the NCAA tournament, keep giving yourself chances, and eventually you're going to capitalize because eventually you're going to get the right draw, even if you're even if it's not your team that's the best team, you know, talent-wise or record-wise that you've had. If you get the right draw and you're hot at the right time, or you just have the, the right makeup to have a, a tournament run, you're going to make a run, and you're going to make a, a a run that's going to for Tennessee set a program record as long as you make it past the Elite Eight. So, I agree with you. I think get more chances to get into the tournament and you're eventually going to get there. I, I don't, I, I'd be curious to, to look and see if I can find the numbers of like teams that have had the most tournament appearances and the fewest like elite eight runs or, you know, getting, getting to the elite eight at least. Cause I think, I, I imagine, I think Xavier is one of those programs that's had like the most tournament appearances without a, a final four or something like that. And Tennessee is one of them too, but I, there, there aren't the chances are if you're getting to the tournament, you know, in a in a ten year stretch, if you're getting there seven eight times, you're more likely going to make at least to an elite eight of that and that that stretch because you're consistently getting good enough talent to get to the tournament. And if you're getting good enough talent to get to the tournament, you have the talent to beat teams in and around your seeding rank most of the time. So, I don't have anything else you want to add to that before we move on to Kelly Harper. But I think that's just my biggest takeaway from what we just talked about. Besides, you know, the contract extension and stuff with the Barnes is, I think in the next five years, if you make it to the tournament all five of those years. I think there's a there's a pretty decent chance you're making it at least to Elite Eight in, in one of those seasons. I mean, I think that's got to be the expectation is getting to... I think the expectation for the next five years should be 
with the way they're recruiting, especially, probably the program's first Final Four. If you don't get there, at least two Elite Eights kind of, I guess, maybe equals that kind of. I don't know. That, that, maybe you can sh- you can shed your your thoughts on that before we, we move on to Kelly Harper and talking kind of about her extension and, and the Lady Vols, too. I mean, eventually something has to break Tennessee's way in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, like I remember the old seven, eight, the 9-10 season when, uh, when they were playing. In, or no, no, maybe in the 8-9 season when uh, Greg Oden blocked the shot, uh, the Ramar Smith shot. Uh, I remember them getting blown out uh, with a good team by Louisville. And I think Francisco Garcia um, went crazy. Um you know, I saw. I remember how close they were against Michigan State, and then in the Elite Eight, and a few years later against Michigan in the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, like I was in Louisville for the Sweet Sixteen game a few years ago against Purdue. Um, like you, like there's such a history. Like I think it, you would much rather get blown out as opposed to some of these results that they've had. Um, you know, you almost, I mean, you at least want to say it. it I mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but, you know, like it's it's harder for, you know, to fathom what, you know, what transpired there. Uh, because you're like, man, I was, you know, the, the freakishly large fingers of Greg Oden away from from winning, you know, from maybe winning that. Maybe that shot goes in if it gets over his head. I, I don't know. Um Pretty sure. I think there was like a late shot against Michigan State too, like that they hit or something. Uh, you just wonder um, under those circumstances, you know, like so. You, you've got five years, and you can set all the expectations in the world as to what should happen, what's going to happen. I'm not here to tell anybody otherwise. I will say that if there's anybody, I mean, Tennessee fans should know that the NCAA tournament is for the most part a crapshoot and so you just have to hope that the ball bounces your way in one of these things I mean heck I was around that 31 win team that was a really good team they lost because they you know because of a foul call and a guy a guy going crazy in the sweet 16 a guy from Purdue going crazy in sweet 16 you know I mean you, to, you know people will always argue that Lamonte fouled that guy Okay, I get it. Did he foul Carson Edwards? I get it. Uh, but like I said, you, you have to feel like that was one of the best to me four to six teams in the country. They got beaten this week sixteen. You know, like you can be, you can throw all the talent out there in the world, but you got to get lucky in the NCAA tournament because it's just a one game thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and to build like, off your point too, like it, it's been even just sticking with Rick Barnes' teams. Like you look at that, the team before that that lost to Little Chicago, they were a man down with Cal Alexander, who I think defensively would have made a, a big impact in that game with how Loyola was able to attack the basket and stuff. If you had a rim protector, maybe that doesn't happen. But you go a guy down, and then you get beat by a team that turns into the Cinderella of that that team or that that season. Like at this past year, I don't know that Fulgerson being in the game would have made maybe as big of a difference. And I still think Tennessee probably loses because it just, they just didn't seem to have it that game, but you were still out John Fulkerson against Oregon state. 
and then get beat by Oregon State, and then Oregon State goes and is as as Cinderella this year too. So it's just, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, not to make excuses, not to, you know, and I know you're not either, not to like try to make excuses and say, oh well, you know, this is this and whatever and ifs and buts and all that stuff. But I mean, it, it, you're right though. It is kind of brutal to think about the the mishaps and like the the close calls Tennessee's had, and then why they've not been able to make deeper runs. And a lot of it's been either injuries. A, a foul call that was very questionable. When you look at the Michigan one and the Sweet 16 with with Conzo Martin as well, um, or just playing a really darn good team and having bad luck go your way a couple of times too. And eventually, eventually it will pat it will better days will come. Yeah, right. you 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 really kind of hope that. Because like Tennessee has like here's the difference between all the, you know this current stretch and all the other stretches I've mentioned. Um, if he completes, if Rick Barnes completes his contract, he's going to have been at, at not, in Knoxville what ten years. Uh, when was the last time that you could say that's happened? Wade Houston? I don't think he lasted that long. I mean, I certainly hope not. Kevin O'Neill did not. Jerry Green did not. Bruce Pearl did not. Bruce Buzz Peterson did not. Consul Martin did not. Um, and Donnie Tindall did not. So you're going back into the 80s the last time. You had a guy that lasted 10 years. That's, you know, like you don't really want a guy who's going to be a flash in the pan who's going to come, you know, three to five years, maybe kind of build something and then leave. I've been around programs where coaches come in and build something and then leave real quick. And if there's not a – I mean, if there's not a great foundation there, then the second that guy leaves – you're back. You're back to square one. Different regimes, different mentalities, all this, that, and the other. Different players. I mean, like Don, most. Like how many of Don Antonio's guys lasted under Rick Barnes? What one? Really, Lamonte. Yeah. Uh, Ab- Abner wasn't one of his players. He was recruited by him, though. But yeah. Yeah, but those are the guys that lasted like multiple, like four years. Because mm-hmm. Hunter, you know, he well, he was brought in. I believe he was a JUCO guy or something like that. So yeah, he was. Uh, so my but my my point is like you've got to you certainly hope that if you're going to have a guy that's going to hang around for ten years, then you can get a little more than just one sweet sixteen out of it. I'm not saying that there's pressure on him. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But if you're going to be recognized the way that Rick Barnes is and the way that Tennessee currently is, then you certainly hope that in this little run now where you're everybody's feeling good, everybody's kind of you know, kind of hopped up on the feel good and stuff, you know, the ecstasy is great. And, you know, the lat, you know, what you want to do, you want to make sure that you get something tangible out of it in terms of a result. Because I mean, if, you know, we're looking, if, if there's, you know, if we're looking at this thing five years from now and 10 and the best that you, you can say is that, well, he got us to two sweet 16s. That's going to sting. That's going to sting because, you will have had probably multiple swings at that point. You've been to what three tournaments right now in six years, I think. Um, yep. Yeah, you've been to three tournaments in six years. You know, you kind of want to get that thing to seven in ten years if that's how much longer. Um, I guess he's got five more years left now, so I mean, it would be uh 11 i think, I think yeah still. 11 years so it'd be, it'd be yeah yeah right 21 22 23 24 25 yeah so so five more years left which would give him 11 years five more years you know you've got five more swings you want to kind of get something out of that because if not 
then that, again, that's going to sting because, you know, like, I mean, I'm not here trying to, you know, do comparison stuff here, but um, Bruce Pearl got your Sweet 16 and Elite Eight in, what, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, Council Martin got you a Sweet 16 in, what, three, four? Three, yep. Um, you know, Jerry Green got you a Sweet 16 and heck, that <laughs> in that time span. So, yeah, it, if you're if like the rea- like I'm a person who understands and values every single time you step out in a basketball court. I understand how important those November December. I I realize how big it was that Tennessee claimed a share of the SEC championship a few years back. But a lot of fans don't care about that because they look at this sport as a March sport. So you will be judged on what you do in the SEC tournament and you will be judged on what you do in the NCAA tournament. Like people will complain about hardware. And, you know, like Tennessee really doesn't have much hardware to show for, you know, for Rick Barnes' time. I don't think that's a fair way of, of judging it. But I'm also I also understand that I'm in the minority on a lot of this stuff. Like so he's going to need, you know, for him to go down as, you know, you know, one of the best coaches in the history of Tennessee who's raised the profile of recruiting and done all this, that, and the other, brought respectability, national coach of the year, everything. Going to have to do some stuff in March. And not just a thing in March. You're going to have to do some stuff in March. Otherwise, it's going to feel it's going to feel empty when it's all said and done. You, you mentioned that longevity of, you know, as, as long as he stays at Tennessee through the entire rest of his contract, he'll have been here 11 years. Tennessee, as a, as a men's basketball program, has only had three coaches that have been head coaches for a decade or longer. The two of them are obvious. I'm, I'm curious if you can name all three of them, Gene. Like I said, I, do, I know two of them are obvious, but I'm curious if you can get the third one. Because two are, like, I mean, it's Ramirez is one of them. Don DeVoe is the other one. I'm curious if you know the other one. The other one is a long time ago, so I don't know. I don't, I no. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, more, you're more of a Tennessee person than I am. Uh, so there's no way. Like I was struggling to remember Devoe's name. I knew it was something. <laughs> maybe it's the time of day, and I'm just not as sharp as I nor, I mean, would be early in the day. But yeah, I was struggling to remember uh, Don Devoe, although I knew that's who it was. Yeah, my my guess without looking it up would have been W. H. Britton, and I would have been close. He he was there for nine years. Emmett Lowry is the guy, other guy. He was there for oh, seasons. The Emmett Lowry time. 1948 man. to 1959. That was when John Fulkerson was a freshman. Yeah, Some, sometime around there. Brought him in on a, an official visit, man. Everything else is history. Um, now I would, I, I would not have gotten him. Yeah. Uh, no, you have Ray Mears fifteen, Larry twelve, Devoe eleven, Britton nine, John Mauer, not the baseball player, eight, and then you have Bruce Pearl and Rick Barnes with six. So I mean, Pearl and Barnes, your your two coaches here in the last fifteen years or so are your sixth and seventh most tenured head coaches in your program's history, and then you have Wade Houston with five years, which. <laughs> that's just funny to look at and see, but the, yeah, I mean that that's a really good point. I, I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about it until I, you know you mentioned it. Going back to, I mean, it would have been the Don DeVoe era in '89. You haven't had a coach have a consistent. We, I think we have talked about that a little bit on, on here, but it just didn't dawn on me like how much really that, that Tennessee hasn't had a consistent presence in men's basketball. You, you were hoping you're hoping you could have had that with Bruce, but then. Obviously, that got messed up <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. And then now, I think you do have it with Brick Barnes. And like you said, that if you want in the next, if he's here for 11 years, you want more than just a couple of sweet 16s and one or two kind of regular season titles. And I, I again, we, we are maybe, you know, we're barely halfway through 
the Rick Barnes era at Tennessee, assuming he stays for the remainder of the five years on his contract. We're, you know, at the halfway point of his of his year, his tenure at Tennessee, and a couple of those years were rebuilding years. So now he's no longer having to rebuild. When you have a, you know, you lose a lot of guys, you're retooling, and you're not going to fall back to the depths of going 15 and 19 or 16 and 16 in his first couple of years. So, yeah, I that's I think that's really good points. And moving on here to the other head coach for the. Uh, basketball programs at Tennessee with Kelly Harper who also got a contract extension she like I said I haven't found the details in terms of financially for her contract extension um, or anything like that but I, I would assume it probably came with a raise I, I don't know um, again I, I'll be curious to see if that comes out but I assume it probably came with at least a little bit of a raise because it's not like she's had you know like the Evals have been getting worse on her they've gotten better they, they've obviously showed improvement the last couple of seasons especially this year you know looked better i thought than they had um in a few seasons especially the last couple under holly warlick but uh Kelly harper gets a contract extension and gene you and i are talking before we started the show here and i think that i've largely i've seen basically overwhelming response to the Kelly harper news is that's been positive and i think you and i are kind of talking about the differences between the layball fan base as a whole and the kind of the Tennessee in general fan base for the the men's sports, and I think I I mean I I don't see a problem with extending Harper, but I think it's also worth still talking about. You know, does she deserve an extension at this point? Should should we we talked about this with Rick Barnes a few weeks ago? Should they've waited another year to extend her because she signed a, a five year deal when she first came on as Tennessee's head coach? So she's only been through a couple of those years at this point. It's not like she was heading into like the last year or two of her contract. And to me, I wonder if she has, you know, quote unquote, done enough to warrant the extension at this point. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, I think it makes sense to me. But if you look at kind of like the, if you're taking a, a, a you know, 20,000 foot view of it in the history of the Leavos program, you know, has Kelly Harper done enough in her, you know, short time so far to warrant an extension given what the, the program of, of uh, history program of Leavos has been. But then you also look at it in a more microcosm sense of, Look what she had to take over at ten- at Tennessee with the Laval's roster and the recruiting and just you know not like Holly Warlick drove it totally into the ground. It's not like they were you know setting well they were setting historic lows. But I'm, I'm paying it to like the football programs like they they were like four and eight or three and seven or whatever like you know under Butch or under Pruitt it wasn't that bad. But they were sinking to a, a level that the Laval's never sunk to before since they've been established. So I say all that to get to your. I'm I'm curious your thoughts, Gene. You you again, as we've mentioned before on the show, you you covered the Lady Vols for a, a few years here in Knoxville. You had ties, you know. You still have connections here in, in East Tennessee with the Lady Vols program and stuff. So I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that. If I haven't seen again, I haven't seen very much negative reaction um, to the the news of of Harper getting an extension or anything like that. And I don't think I probably will. But I'm I'm curious. Do you do you do you think it's warranted right now? I again I don't know if it's a raise or whatever, but the extension. Do you think it's warranted right now? Because I I would I would not argue uh, I wouldn't argue and say that it isn't warranted because I think it's like I don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's it makes sense to me to go ahead and, and give her an extension um, right now, given you know the trajectory that the Lady Vols are on and the fact that they are recruiting again at a at a talk about recruiting Rick Barnes. Lady Vols are used to recruiting at a high level, but it seems like. Harper and her staff are doing a really good job on the recruiting trail right now with the current class and then with the class they just signed and with the next upcoming, the 22 and 23 classes, they seem pretty well positioned um, for some high-profile players in those classes too. Yeah, and um, 
I think the big thing, um, it, it kind of goes a little bit in hand with what I said about um, Rick Barnes and that with the previous, under the previous regime, there had been a loss of luster there. Now, obviously, Lady Vols and, you know, the, the men's team, their programs are vastly different. But, um, you know, so much of Lady Vols' history is not in this history, it's in one person. And that's unfortunate, but it's also reality. I mean, it's, you know, see, see UCLA and John Wooden. See, we'll, we'll see what happens with Coach K. Um, I mean, with, yeah, with Coach K leaving Duke and what was it, John Shire, I think, taking over. Roy Williams leaving, you know, and Hubert Davis taking over. Like, that's a tough gig for a lot of people. Um, Tennessee, I believe, is the first the first women's program to to have had a coach of that stature um, leave. Um, Vanderveer is still at Stanford. When you look at, you know, I mean, Gino is still at UConn. Muffet just left Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like when, you know, and heck, Tennessee's about to go on its second coach after, you know, uh, you know, after Pat, and so I say that to say, you know, like it's almost one of those Holly walked so you know Holly crawled so Kelly could walk type stuff. Uh, there are a lot of bullets and things and you know stuff that you know that Holly had to do. And not saying she was perfect by any means, but coming back around, like that program had lost a lot of its you know stature at that point you know at the time that kelly took over and not to mention you have a fan base that's just itching and begging for a winner in one of its most well-known sports you know like when you think tennessee you think football you think women's basketball those are just facts and both of those at that time were struggling so you know so you look at what kelly's done in the first couple years She's bringing in, she's not just, she's not stargazing. She's going out and getting players who are ideal fits for the program, kind of fit the culture. Um, I think Jordan Horston is like her Lamonte Turner person, where it's like, ah, would I have recruited her? Possibly, possibly not. But, you know, like their, their skill level is such that I'm going to kind of ride with them. And Horston got better last year. She didn't turn the ball over nearly as much as she did that first year. And I don't remember exactly how many she averaged. I, if I, I'm not looking at stats, but if I had to guess, she probably averaged 13 turnovers a game. I don't know. Maybe I'm – I don't remember. But <laughs> Jordan, yeah. Jordan Horston, you mean? Yes. I'll look uh, it up. I'm curious now. Uh, I, I, honest, all jokes aside, it was probably – it was north of three, probably close to four. I'm just guessing. Uh, that year ended so abruptly with COVID and everything that – um, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, yeah, it when, was, yeah, 4.3 4. in her first year, 4.3 yeah. turnovers. And then this past season, it was, uh, 2.7. So and she's pretty electric, big decline. She, and she's an electric player. Mm-hmm. She's a really talented player. Um, and so you're, so Kelly has not only brought in players 
that she fit that are good fits for what she's trying to do. But the players that are currently within the program, I mean, when people talk about skill development, everybody always knows this is something always just bugs me. And I've talked about this a lot with the men's team with post players, because I don't think the Tennessee has a coach that could develop a post. I brought it up with the coaching friend of mine the other day, and he was like, well, I haven't thought about that, but it's true. Uh, you know, people always talk about skill development when it comes to football and these sports that we feel like we know everything about. Most of the time, we don't. But we never seem to talk about it when it comes to basketball, because we just think you just go out there, you get the best players, and they'll just go out there and make you look better than you actually are. Um, see Phoenix when it, you know if you're looking for the definition of skill development. I mean, yeah, skill development uh, because those players have been developed. And so when I what I look at when I look at Tennessee, I look at Ray Burrell, who is so much better of a player than she was when she first got to Knoxville, and now she's going to be a big piece of what they're trying to do. You look at Jordan Horson, who according to you dropped her turnovers by one and a half from her freshman year to her sophomore year. So to me, you have to be excited about what they're doing. Are they going to win a championship next year? Probably not. But in the same way that you want to build things back up, I mean, you want to build things up with Rick Barnes, you've got to lend that same latitude to, you know, a, a Kelly Harper because this is just year three for her. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is year three at a program where in you look at her coaching success, she's been successful. She built a program at Missouri State who, last I checked, I thought was pretty competitive in the NCAA tournament either last year, well, not certainly not last year, but this year. So, like, I, I mean, like, she's on year three. She had two more years. I mean, so I guess she's got five years left now, but she's recruiting at a high level. She's developing players that she's got in the program to me, that's the literal definition of deserving of a contract extension. She won ten. She went ten and six her first year in conference play. She went nine and four this year. So, I mean, that's a better that's a better percentage. Don't you know? Don't try to skew the numbers to your advantage and say she won fewer games. She also played what three? To, she also played three fewer. Yep. That work. That that matters too. Um. And so, like, what I look at and what I see is, oh, she's got things going. And, yeah, you can point to whatever you want to point to. But to me, like, she's got that thing going in the right direction. Now, well, it's going to be interesting to see because she's got three, dra- you know, she's got three graduate transfers in this roster this year. Um, and I'll be interested to see just kind of how that works. Uh I mean how how they're going to divvy that stuff out. You, I mean, when we spoke last year, you were higher on Dodd than I was. Um, I think Walker could be a pretty decent player. And Green had a couple moments last year, if, uh, from what I recall, um, before she got hurt. So, um, well, I mean, she got hurt four games in, but she looked decent in those four games. Yeah. I uh, so, so like, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, like. Who's going to be the player that takes the step for this year? Because you knew Ray Burrell was talented, but you did not expect her to take the jump that she did from her sophomore to her junior year. You just didn't expect it, and you know you didn't. You know you saw some things along the way. You're like maybe, maybe, but she became a more efficient player. She, you know, her three point percentage went from thirty three to forty percent. Her field goal percentage went from forty one to forty six. 
and this is playing 10 more minutes and being the secondary option on a good team. You know, her points go from 10 to 17, essentially. She has more steals despite playing five fewer games. She, you know, like I'm sitting here looking at her stats and, you know, she averages more assists playing fewer games. She doesn't rebound as much, but, you know, that's okay because everything else. She saw 60% from the free throw line as a sophomore and 83% as a junior. Like that's, like that's development. Mm-hmm. That's skill development right there. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody expected. Maybe, maybe they thought that she could be a good player, but they hadn't seen it. And now they've seen it. If there's going to be a person, in my, I mean, Jordan Horson, you saw the same things. You've, we've already talked about that. Tamari Key, you saw, you saw development. And so, like to me. That's where who's it going to be? I mean, it's got to be Tess Darby, maybe Suarez. I I, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be somebody that's kind of been in the program. I mean, I don't I don't foresee Jesse Rennie, you know, you know, you know, blowing up next year. But you know, I mean, because the freshmen are freshmen. You can't see fresh. You can't freshmen can't get better because they're freshmen. <laughs> Like you know, they get better go after their first year. They got they got to have a vantage point. They got to have something to build off of. So I'm not I don't I don't know what the expectations for Miles or Puckett or Win or Stripling are going to be, but uh, like if they've got a good enough base where they can be competitive this year, um, they'll have to recruit and recruit and recruit and recruit and probably get lucky with a transfer somewhere along the way. Because they're losing one, two, three, four. They're losing There's four. Losing a lot, yeah. Has to come back. Yeah, I guess. I guess technically, you know, because you know, you don't. I, I'm sorry, I'll, I almost forget that. You know, last year didn't count for right. eligibility. So, but you know, the schools will. You know, they bump the grade up regardless, and the kids, if they want to come back, they can. So, um, Ray Burrell could, but Ray Burrell's going to probably get drafted. Then you lose the three graduate transfers. That's it. So you got a chance. Losing four players, you got a chance. You got a chance to really build something here. You can see that she's doing it. So, you know, and kind of like I said to Rick at the beginning of that, um, congrats because to me, that's well deserved. And I'll be interested to see what she does over the the course before the next time comes for her contract extension at the school because <laughs> women's coaches don't you know tend to bounce around especially from Tennessee yes very good point a, a couple of things here to, to put off a couple of points you said and also a, a quick question for you before we go to our next topic but you mentioned Missouri State uh, where Kelly Harper previously coached her last year there in 2019 they made a sweet 16 run got beat by Stanford in the sweet 16 because last year they made a sweet 16 run and again Got beat by Stanford, so they they can't get past Stanford in the in the uh, tournament. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they've they've made a run the last couple times. There's been a tournament. I'd forgot I'd forgot that they once they made a Final Four uh, back in 2001 when they're led by the phenomenal Jackie Styles, who scored like 30 points a game that year in, in 2001. It was the I think the AP Player of the Year that year for them too. So I forgot Missouri State. I guess at that point Southwest Missouri State is what they were called. Um, made it to a Final Four in women's basketball all the way back in 2001. Uh, the quick question that you're talking about, coaches who, like, Tennessee has been the one that really 
until recently with Muffin McGraw has been like the only kind of power, quote unquote, that well, they not for them, quote unquote, but you know, power of women's sports that have lost their kind of transcendent head coach. Would you consider Jody Conrad in that category for Texas because she was around you know, a little bit before Pat stepped down, but she was a coach that had been at Texas for decades, would have won a national championship with them in the eighties, but it'd been, you know, it had been a while since they won a national title and then they made a final four in, in 2003 under her, but she stepped, you know, was no longer the head coach after the 2007 season. Would you consider her as the, you know, that Texas since her, they've, they've gone for different, different couple of coaches that they've had. I know they hired Vic Schaefer um, now and he's, he's their newest head coach, but would you consider her in that category? Is she kind of that, that next level of, you know, she's not the, the Pat Summit, Gina Oriam, a Muffin McGraw type of coach, but she's like the level underneath them. Cause I, th- I think that's a, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. It's, this is Texas, not, not Tennessee stuff, but I, I'm curious your, your thoughts on that. I mean, she was, it's, a, coach, she was a coach that won 783 games at Texas. Of course, some of that wasn't, they were still independent and then they were the Southwest conference. And then they moved to the big 12 in 96. I mean, that was a big transition era for them under her, but still. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could, you could kind of put her there, but man, she had a lot of bad seasons. I mean, it's, it's the point to, like those first, when she, they were in the Southwest Conference, uh, you know, those first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, those first eight seasons, she lost one conference game. One. Now, the Southwest Conference back then was what, Arkansas, Oklahoma, you know, not exactly a ton of, you know, women's college basketball powers, specifically in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. You know, like she won, she lost one conference game. I, I wonder who it was that beat him in eighty nine ninety. But somebody yeah. got him. Somebody in conference play got him. Um, so you know, like it's hard, man, because she had two good years after once they got from nineteen ninety until two thousand six. She had a she had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, like thirteen. She had thirteen twenty one seasons, but she also had one, two, three she had three losing seasons and they didn't uh, make it out of the second round of the tournament until Yeah, so it's later. it's hard. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. that's my thing. I mean, like it, it's hard to really like I think that she was as respected of you know she's certainly women's college basketball royalty. Oh yeah. But I just can't quite put her in that. You know she kind of is. She got this is I don't know if there's quite a man. I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to play that game. So no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I don't because I was going to make a really bad comparison uh, between her and a men's a guy on the men's side who's you know who's. <laughs> Is it necessarily treated? We'll, we'll talk about that afterwards, but yeah, you'll you have to tell me off 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 air. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell yeah, I'll tell you who the person is, and you'll get a laugh out of it. But I do think yeah. that there's similarities. Uh, no, even not with him, but you know, like, I, I can't. Sorry, sorry, listeners, you you don't get to hear that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't quite put I, I can't quite put her there, mm-hmm. but she's certainly upper echelon. But I think when I think women's college basketball. And I remember talking with Jim Foster about this. Like there are, you know, you've got a like a Gary Blair, you know, who has been around, who was around for such a long time, 
didn't win a championship. I mean, he's probably in there in that Jody Conrad in, in that same realm. But you have Muffet, um, you have Gino Ariema. Um, you obviously have Pat. I mean, I, don't, I think that goes without saying. You have Tara Vanderveer. But like, if you th- when you start thinking about it, um, you know, like that's that's hard to when you start thinking about you know like uh, what's her face. Uh, 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 see Vivian Stringer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't go. think she, I don't think she has a, I don't think she had a, I don't think she had a championship. I, um, I, I hate to say that I don't think she actually won one. No, let me uh, let me check it out. No, sure, let me check it. No, she didn't. She did not win a championship, but she's like fifth, fifth all time in wins. Yeah, four, um, four final four appearances. But yeah, no, no actual title. Yeah, like Sivia Hatchell. I mean, like that's once you get into once you get into some of that stuff, like you know, Conrad's ninth all time. Um, Andy Landers, like, and oh, look, man. you get you get a championship. It kind of moves you to a different realm. I get that. I'm not going to argue that, but it's just so hard looking at what the game was at that point. Um, it's just so hard to, to look at it that way, to treat it that way. Um, that's not fair either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. But man, it's just—I don't know. Anyways, it all goes back to say it's just when you're talking about the, just the royalty of that sport. It, to me, if if you're talking like Mount Rushmore's, who gets the fourth spot? To me, it's Muffet because Vanderveer, Gina, Gino, obviously Pat are one, two, and three. I'd actually probably put Muffet because she actually went through a different time span uh, and she was successful later in her career. Mm-hmm. You know, she you could you, know, you talk about building. She won won a championship in two thousand. Uh, she won a championship in 1718. You know, like that 1920 season was kind of crazy. You know, she was really bad that year. But I'm sitting here looking at a six, you know, eight year stretch that they, you know, nine year stretch where they won at least 30 games. Yeah, they, they, they won I, two titles and made it to the championship game like six other times, I think, or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so like if we're talking that, if we're talking Mount Rushmore's, I know a lot of people in sport talk want to do Mount Rushmore's. That would be mine in particular. It starts with Pat to me, uh, then Gino, um, then Vanderveer, and then Muffet. And it's just funny to me that two of those were once assistants at St. Joseph's under Jim Foster, oh. who's also ninth on that list all time and wins. So um, just amazing to see uh, that. But I'd be, no, I'd be I mean, curious to see if someone like if someone like Kim Mulkey can sneak onto that I mean, they can unseat someone like like you just mentioned like I, don't anybody, like that. I don't think anybody wants her there i don't know how many i don't know how many <laughs> she is. oh no yeah i mean but it comes, yeah, talking about people liking them i don't I don't think she's on there or gino because no one likes either one of those coaches she, she may actually make people put her on there because they're all scared of her um, <laughs> you know like that'll be interesting to see what she does at lsu i don't know but. yeah anyway yeah no I, that i think that's great and I, i'd be curious to hear 
your comparison when we're off uh, off air here. But to the close of the podcast, our last discussion topic here on Vol Basketball Fever is going back to the men's side of things, talking about Tennessee's players uh, nationally and playing here with it being an Olympic year. Normally it's not, but obviously with COVID, it got pushed back or got pushed to this year. Uh, several of Tennessee's players have been playing in, in national teams. You've had Kenny Chandler, you've had Viscovi, you've had Olivia Kamwa. I don't think any other players have. I don't think I'm missing anyone in that in that group there. But those three that I'm for sure I know for sure have. Congratulations to Kenny Chandler and the uh, Team USA Under-19 team for winning the FIBA Under-19 gold with the USA basketball team for the second straight year that they've had it. Uh, so back-to-back years, again, that they've had the actual tournament, or actual, um, you know, World Cup thing that they've won it, and Kenny Chandler was part of it this year. He averaged 7.7 points, 3.4 assists, basically three rebounds, 20 minutes a game, 44% field goal, almost 40% three-point shooting. That was also with him taking a nasty spill on a dunk attempt and getting hurt and coming back and playing in the, the championship game. So, yeah, he, he seems to be fine, but that was, you know, didn't look great. He did full-on scorpion, as, as they call it, when he the way he landed. Um, but he's fine, and congratulations to him and, and the team for getting gold. The, really, the, the player I want to talk with you about, Gene, because we've talked about him on this podcast a little bit, and, and kind of in passing in ways, but you've made enough interesting comments to me about him that I, I want to hear your thoughts on this and see kind of if what you're kind of how you're feeling on him. That, and that's Kamwa. He's a guy who started all three games for Finland and Japan um, over for the, the Finnish basketball program, the Finnish basketball team um, over in Japan. They went two and one with victories over Hungary and Japan. He averaged over twenty-three to, or basically twenty-three and a half minutes per game, which is the second most on that team. And according to Tennessee, uh, on their tweet here from uh, this week, averaged eight point three points, five point seven rebounds, and forty-seven point six percent from the floor. And I saw a few highlights and stuff from what he was doing, and he was moving really well. He, he was playing a different role than what he has played at Tennessee. It looks like, and that's been a big discussion you and I have had in this podcast of you know. He wasn't a true post player um, when he was coming out of high school, and that's what Tennessee's kind of tried to use him as. But watching the highlights, I've watched him. It wasn't like he was playing a, a true post position necessarily um, on the couple of highlights I've seen from it. But I, I've seen a few people talking about, you know, is this, you know, with Tennessee kind of having a void there in the post? There, there's a lot of names that we've talked about on the Hatfield. We've talked about obviously Fulkerson coming back. Uh, Tennessee getting a due as a, as a signee in this class, this past class as well. But with there being kind of a, a, a void there in terms of you need someone to step up with Fulkerson and need a guy to you know spell him or you you need you need minutes in the post there and to have better post production than what you've had the past couple seasons. Could this be with Olivia Campbell Hagen to his third year? Could this be a quote unquote breakout year? You know, not not expecting him to come out and average thirteen. 14 points a game and seven or eight rebounds or anything like that. But could this be a year where we see Kamwa actually, you know, start to feel more, you know, feel more comfortable in his shoes out there? Because I, I watch him and there's been so many times I, th- I thought, wow, he has potential to be a really good player at Tennessee. But it's mostly been on defense and with effort because a lot of times at offense when I've watched him, he looks like the moment's too big for him. And I, I've, I've mentioned several times that I thought he seems kind of like a baby giraffe where he kind of stumbles and fumbles himself around when he has the ball and it kind of seems hesitant to 
you know, go up and, and be aggressive on offense. There were a few games last year where I thought he was kind of breaking out of that shell a little bit, but it, it still wasn't consistent enough. So, Gene, this is a guy who you've talked about a little bit on the on the show, um, and I, I know enough from what you said on on the on air and kind of what we talked about off air a little bit too, that I know you like him as a prospect and like him as a player. You're just not sure about his fit in the Tennessee system. So, does that still hold you back from saying this could be you know it's it's his time to step up? If it's any time for him to step up, it's right now with the way Tennessee's roster is shaped up, where you have a lot of young guys at the post position, and you're a third year post player in the program right now is your time to step up. Do you think this is a, a time where we see that, that third year leap uh, under, you know, Rick Barnes and his staff, or is it just more of, Hey, this is, he's looking good in the summer in a totally different style of offense, a totally different style of team. And this is kind of a, you know, we should take this with a, a major grain of salt. Yeah. I had a chance to look at a couple of highlights and I was happy and uh, I was happy to see him have success and it's also almost unfortunate too because the the highlights I saw, I'm not sure that t- Tennessee just is not going to play that sort of wide open style. I don't believe. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I was happy because like just seeing it. I mean, like it, it's like you, you're you're talking about like a guy who looked lost out there and part of the reason he looked lost I mean we all seem to forget that last year there was no preseason no real preseason and there was nobody in that program that needed a preseason more than Olivier Conwell because of just the style they play so he goes through his first season he completely looks lost there's no off season for him to really develop within that system. And then it's like, Hey, go out there and play. Oh, and now we're going to completely limit stuff. You do more because we're going to play, we're going to play the game through our two guards. These two really electric guards that we have, which is fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, like you look at that roster, especially with Fulkerson's health and everything going on with him last year. I understand where you decide to play, you know, play through your two dynamic guys. But, um, you know, so when I, what I look at with what, what I, what I look at when I see Kamwa is a guy who feels like he's best served. as like an energy guy to me to kind of be the sort of guy who will, you know, can run end to end run 94 feet. Like, you know, can, can defend. I thought he was one of their better post defenders his first year. I didn't see enough last year. I didn't pay enough attention to know last year, but I thought he was really good defending the post. He's probably the best offensive rebounder um, on the team. He was statistically his freshman year, I'm pretty sure. Um, he has a nose for the ball. Like, But I think that when, you know, when you're going into a system where there is a lot of um, – you know, it's not. It, it can be fast paced, but it can't. But it it, it almost prefers. It's almost best served more a uh, more slower paced style because you know that offense can be surgical with the cuts and everything. You know, especially when it's really working. Um, I don't know who he takes minutes from. That's my biggest concern. Yeah. Who's he going to take minutes from? Like, is he going to take them from Fulkerson? Um, a do. Like the second that man, like the problem is the second that they tried out Kamwa, 
and a dude sitting over there, and nobody's had a chance to see him play, they're going to start complaining. And, and, you know, like, but he's not going to play over Huntley Hatfield or Josiah. If Josiah moves up to the three, then maybe he can back up He can back up uh, Huntley Hatfield at the four. Um, I don't know what you do with that. I don't have a clue, but I, I want to see the kid succeed because I've seen you can you've seen little snippets of that kid being a good basketball player. But you know, in my personal opinion, I don't know if Tennessee was even the best fit for him as a school because the way that he's places that he appears to me to be most successful is just a guy who's not really asked to do a lot more than just be a banger. Like, and when I say bang, just like be a guy who sits on the perimeter and attacks the glass on shot attempts and grabs offensive rebounds and stuff. Maybe, maybe that game is developed. Um, it's developing this summer, you know, cause this, again, the summer's when you develop, uh, maybe that game is developed. And he's going to be ready to go down there and bang a lot because it seems to me that his most logical position is um, backup, you know, kind of a backup five or the five, regardless of backup or whatever. But I mean, college basketball, man, they, they bring you in to recruit over you, <laughs> you know, and, you know, like I, I'm pretty sure you bring in, you know, if I'm Kamwa and if I'm Euros Plavsic, I'm looking around and like, yo, they brought this a dude kid in. Um, to take all of our minutes. So you hope that it breeds enough competition within the group that you bring the best out of a guy like Kamba because I don't think that people have seen his full potential yet. Um, And I would certainly like for him to at least showcase it. I don't want to say get the opportunity because you get your opportunity in practices. But I, I would love to see him get the opportunity to, I'm sorry, to have a chance to showcase what he can do, which means that he would have shown it in practice enough to where the coaches felt comfortable playing him in games. Because you don't just, you know, I don't care all the stupid terminology about he's a gamer and all this, that, and the other. It doesn't apply. You actually have to practice well enough and show enough comprehension. I don't care what sport you're talking about, football, basketball, wherever, whatever. You actually have to show some level of comprehension of what's being asked of you in practice to get opportunities in games. And if he's getting out there early in the season and he's making the most out of the minutes he's getting, he may not get more minutes, but you at least feel comfortable about the minutes he's going to get. And I think he's a good enough player to be a contributor to this team. And so I was glad to see the success that he's kind of had this uh, over the past week. And to your point about him being a great offensive rebounder, I, I like I knew that he was really good at that, but I didn't like realize quite how good this past year among qualifying players, which I don't count. Roche was a qualifying player. It's 71 minutes he, he played, so I'm not going to count him. I would count guys at least played like 150 or more. Um, of the qualifying players, he was third on the team in offensive rebound percentage this past year with 8.1%, which is right behind Josiah Jordan-James at 87 And as you said, his freshman year, he was the best offensive rebounder on the team um, among qualifying players. His offensive rebounding percent as a freshman was 117 So 11.7 as freshman year, 8.1 this past year. You know, average that out to about a what nine ten percent. That's 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 a pretty good offensive rebound percentage. That's of uh, on Sports Reference. That is the offensive rebound percentage is an estimate of the percentage of available offensive rebounds a player grabbed while he was on the floor. So he led the Vols as a true freshman this past year. He was basically third on the team among guys who played enough minutes. With EJ Anasiki actually being really good at offensive re- rebounding, that's about all he's good at 
honestly, was uh, 13.5%. And, and Plashik had 162 but again, he played 71 minutes. I don't really count him, but EJ Anasicki actually played a few more minutes total than Kamwa did this past year and 13.5 offensive rebound percentage. So I think you make I think you made some great points there, Gene. I I hesitate to you know say he's going to be able to play over a lot of times these guys at Tennessee just brought. And I, I think with Adu, it's going to be interesting to see where his development is um, as a post player and kind of you know in Tennessee system specifically too how they want to use the four and the five and and what they do with him because I think Huntley Hatfield is as you've mentioned he's a just an athletic he's very athletically gifted as a player and he he's not he's going to like demand minutes as long as he's healthy and this is a conversation I think we should have in a future podcast of how is Tennessee going to divvy up some of their minutes this year because it's not going to be easy to keep everyone happy I think we've touched on that in a few other podcasts but it's not going to be easy to keep a lot of these guys everyone happy in this situation because Kenny Chandler's going to get minutes as long as he's healthy he's your point guard he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of minutes for you just how Jordan James is going to start or, or if he does come off the bench and be your sixth man he's still going to you know get a, a bunch of minutes in a game Ferguson's going to get a bunch of minutes Bailey's, Bailey's going to get a bunch of minutes I imagine Justin Powell didn't transfer to Tennessee to be a guy who's only going to get you know 10-15 minutes a game as long as he's healthy and you know is bounced back from his injury last year he's a guy who's going to maybe start and if not he's your sixth guy Viscovi is going to get a lot of minutes those are what six players on his mentioned right there that's not even including again what you know how many minutes does something Hatfield get what what about a do uh, what about Campbell what about Meshack what about um I feel like there's someone else I'm forgetting here from Tennessee's class, they just have it. Well, Devonshire, but I don't think he's going to get you know a whole lot. But that Tennessee has a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem as a coach that you don't necessarily mind having because you have a lot of guys, um, in a couple different positions who are, you would hope and assume are going to you know demand and garner a lot of minutes, uh, and how do you divvy that up between all the players? So I think that's that's something we kind of discuss in a future podcast. But I think you're right about about Camwa. I think it's he needed, as you said, probably more than any other player on Tennessee's roster last year. You know, maybe you could throw in the freshmen because obviously they're new to college and, and having a summer would have been great for them since they're just now getting into college. And I think you could also maybe see Viscovi because he didn't have an offseason his first year. He, he came in mid-year um, and then didn't really get to have an offseason after that because that was when COVID hit. So it wasn't like he got to um, – he needed. He probably could have really used an offseason – last year and he didn't either so two of those guys that didn't get to really have an offseason do get to have an offseason in the summer and as be as a team and, and do all the stuff that you normally get to do as a team in the summer so I think those two to me are it's going to be really interesting to see the steps they take and kind of what they look like um, and they're it's, it's hard to believe it's it's their third year both those guys especially for Viscovi but their third year heading into this program because this will be the first time for Viscovi, he gets a true offseason, a, a true summer program with Tennessee. It'll be the only the second time Campbell has him be the first time since his, you know, his true freshman year where he was trying to figure things out and get acclimated to the college program. He's acclimated now. He, he knows what it's like to be a college athlete. He knows what it's like to be at the University of Tennessee. Um, so I think that those two are very intriguing to me this offseason. And obviously all the talk's going to be about Kenny Chandler, Huntley Hatfield, Justin Powell, Fulkerson because he's always a guy that gets talked about a lot since he's coming back for his 29th season at Tennessee and 
and and I think those guys would get, and I guess maybe Bailey will probably get some attention and Josiah because those are, you know, upperclassmen veterans for Tennessee and they've been productive. But I think Camon Vescovi, I think Vescovi will get a lot of attention because he seems like a fan favorite for the most part other than his turnover problems, but I think fans do like Vescovi and the kind of, you know, play he has on, on, in, on the court. But I think those are two guys that are... Um, could benefit the most potentially from actually finally having an offseason in a summer program at the University of Tennessee. But I think that'll be where we end this episode of the podcast. Um, I'd appreciate all of you who tuned in for this episode. Had a lot to cover. Uh, both men's and women's basketball for Tennessee had a lot of news. And again, just a lot of news in general for the university when it came to coaching contract extensions. I don't think I actually ended up running through um, all of those coaches. So let me really quick name off all of them in case you hadn't heard who all they were. Obviously, Rick Barnes of men's basketball, but Lisa Glenn of rowing. Mac Kreditch of, I think I said that right, of swimming and diving. Allison Ojeda of women's tennis. Tony Vitello of baseball, Kelly Harper of women's basketball. Brennan Webb of men's golf. Karen, Karen Weekly of softball, who Ralph Weekly just announced his retirement I think like a week and a half ago or so. So uh, Karen's staying on as the head coach and she gets a contract extension. And then Chris Woodruff of men's tennis. So those are your Tennessee coaches who all got contract extensions on Tuesday. And and I think pretty much all those you could argue are well-deserved and are, are, you know, worthy of getting those extensions. So those are the nine coaches in Tennessee's Tennessee's programs that got extensions. And Tennessee mentioned the the whole Learfield IMG Director's Cup and everything, which was, I think, actually Tennessee's, yeah, their spring score was their highest in the 28-year history of the director's cup. They had a 470.5 in the director's cup in the spring. So that's good for Tennessee. I think that they actually had a you know really standout spring. And I think the majority of the coaches who got uh, extensions are spring, you know, kind of springish sports. I believe um, the majority of them were, I think like six of the nine or something like that were uh, spring sports coaches. So just want to run through that really quickly before we end the podcast here. So again, thank you all for tuning in. We should be back again next week with a, a few more topics to discuss. Off season's rolling on, but we're also getting a little bit closer, inching a little bit closer to the start of the season, or at least the start of kind of the, the workouts and whatnot. We're, we're seeing now this is the big recruiting period now where a bunch of shoe companies are going to be doing a lot of tournaments and whatnot. Uh, Nike, uh, Adidas, Under Armour is going to have a bunch of different stuff going on. Uh, really, you know, a bunch of different sports, but obviously, and basketball is what we're talking about here. Um, so get, you know, Tennessee's coaches will be on the trail. We've already seen a few different pictures on the Lady of All side of things of Kelly Harper and uh, her assistants uh, being on the trail, looking, you know, watching prospects in, in the 23, and the 22, 23, 24, and even in a couple of cases in the 25 class of women's basketball. So it's going to be a busy time in July. And then we're going to get into August and September when we get into start some practices and, and workouts and whatnot. And then before you know it, the season will be here in November. But signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. Once again, we want to thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 